Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we continue our mentorship journey where we help one of our listeners workshop their pilot from inception to final draft. And once again, we are joined by Ben Warner. Welcome, Ben. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. And uh, this week is step number three as we take a look at the outline of Ben's one-hour drama pilot, The Pirate King, which you can read at paperteam.co slash 198. So let's get started. We are less than two weeks away from our 200th episode of Paper Team. That's right. As we mentioned before, we are going to be doing a live stream episode on Saturday, December the 5th uh, in the afternoon. And essentially, we're going to be on for a couple of hours with a bunch of past guests. We're going to have some special co-hosts and we're going to be talking everything about writing and the podcast and just having a lot of fun. Absolutely. And we will be streaming live on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash TV calling. You can get all the information you need about this special live stream event at paypeteen.co slash 200. That's paypeteen.co slash 200. And also we want to hear from you because obviously it's a celebration of the podcast, but also our listeners. We want to hear what are your favorite moments or episodes or even guests that you would like us to invite back on this 200th episode special. So you can send all all of that either by email at askatpaperteam.co, tweet at us at tvcalling or at underscore Angie Watson, or fill out our little survey at paperteam.co slash 200. It's a little survey, takes a couple of minutes, uh, probably less than that. It's not that long. And uh, you can join us then on the Saturday, December 5th for our 200th episode special. And now let's look at the mentorship. And uh, as mentioned, this is step number three. Just to recap, the mentorship goal, it is a monthly workshop where we help one of our listeners, a writer, create a new original TV pilot script from inception to final draft, as we said. And this time we are following Ben Warner with his one-hour drama pilot, The Pirate King. Yeah, in our last couple of 2020 mentorship episodes, which were PT-190 and PT-193, uh, we delved even further into Ben's new drama pilot, The Pirate King. Last month, we took a look at the broad story beats, gave him some feedback, some questions to think of. So this week, Ben moved on to the next step, which is the full detailed outline. And that's what this episode is going to go through. Absolutely. And if you want to hear Ben's thoughts on our first two sessions and the process he's been going through to get to that outline stage and ponder some of the questions we asked him in those first two episodes, you can take a listen to our Patreon exclusive episodes where he actually tackled all those questions and more. And that's accessible at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And as we said, in the last mentorship episode and the one before it, we want this process to be interactive with you guys listening at home. So, we would always love your thoughts, feedback, interactions, either via email, Twitter, Facebook, etc. So if you have your own thoughts about this process or questions that you want to ask us or Ben about the Pirate King and his writing, you can always send those to ask at paperteam.co. And now let's dig into the outline for the Pirate King. All right. Well, we are not going to read, uh, you know, 20 plus pages of an outline on this podcast, but you can read the outline yourself at paperteam.co slash 198. And first of all, let me ask you, uh, Ben, what was the process like of getting to that outline stage and uh, going from the beach sheet to the outline that you delivered? Well, the beach sheet was, it was so bare bones after you guys gave me those notes. And I thought you guys gave some really great, really actionable notes. I took about like a week just to think about it. 
And I, I listened to the episode a couple of times so I could hear the notes all over again and kind of try to look at it from a fresher perspective. You know, after I absorbed it, I kind of wrote a list of uh, the most important notes to me. And then I kind of just started addressing those individually, how I'm going to try to address them. And then it came down to kind of going back to the beat sheet, integrating those notes, and then expanding. All right, so let's dive into uh, some notes and our discussion of the outline. So I just wanted to go over, firstly, a couple things that we really liked about this. Firstly, I think that you did a really great job of finding clever ways to communicate how long Jean has been out of town, uh, from you know the geography changing to the embarrassing out-of-date fashion. I love the like frilly shirt moments in that whole scene there. So I think there was a nice, subtle way to get that exposition out that he hasn't been here for a long time and things have changed without just sort of having a conversation between two people being like, you haven't been here for a long time, things have changed. So. I think that was great. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely a, a tough thing to do in terms of to showcase that fish out of water element and uh, at least on the visual side and uh, in the action and so forth. So I definitely uh, concur with Nick there that it was well delivered. Yeah, I think that you definitely fixed up the sort of the timeline stuff, too, that we discussed from the last time in terms of, you know, when did this battle happen? When did he get into the city? How long has he been away? I think it's much simpler and clearer now. So that's working better now, too, just in terms of the logic and the timeline. And just in general, I think there's a lot of really fun moments in here. Great action sequences, really kind of fun, surprising, interesting ways to carry out uh, a battle or a moment or break the tension with some comedy. So uh, overall, it's just a really entertaining and engaging read, even just for an outline. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It's sometimes difficult to pull off, especially when it's an action-based script with a lot of set pieces. It is sometimes hard to carry the reader through in an engaging fashion. And so I definitely agree with Nick there that the action was really present. It was really evocative. And personally, I mean, going back to our last step with the beat sheet, I didn't mention wanting more of those action set pieces and so forth. And so I really feel like you really uh, delivered there in this outline. Uh, I will also mention the teaser that I really liked. I was a bit on the fence last time, I know, on the teaser, but really the way you executed it, at least in the outline here, I really, really appreciate it. And again, generally the second half, uh, we'll talk about more of the, you know, the details of the outline pilot in a moment, but I really like the second half, especially that act four with the whole set piece with the voodoo queen, I thought was really well executed. Yeah. Thanks guys. I mean, that was one of the biggest notes I took was really just sort of beefing up. And I think that that probably would have happened naturally in my process. Like I said, on my solo episodes, I'm not much of an outliner and that's why this process has been so educational for me. This is far and away the most detailed outline I've ever attempted. Yeah, just filling out those little beats. You know, that's the stuff that I love to write. So including that in the outline was great. That's awesome to hear. Uh, what was that process like of uh, sort of getting to that outline uh, for the first time and really beefing it up? Painful? <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Uh, you guys have read at least Strange California. And so you guys know that I like to be a little bit more um, editorial. I think I have a fairly distinctive voice and I like to almost like I'm telling a story straight to somebody rather than a blueprint for a finished product. So I kind of towed the line there with the outline where I wanted to make it engaging. That's kind of where my passion for writing comes and hopefully shows through is when I have those moments that I could, that it feels fun. Like I, I want someone to be entertained even when they're reading something like an outline. 
So that part was actually really fun. And, and I found myself really enjoying the process. All right. Excellent. Well, let's move into some of the different topics and things that we want to discuss with you, Ben. First of all, I wanted to mention something regarding act one and the first half of the episode. Personally, I feel like I would pitch to actually cut the Bayou sequence that's uh, scenes eight through 11 in act one and really move up essentially the pilot, putting the teaser aside, but the, the blunt of the pilot forward earlier to really get us into the actual story because the story really begins at the point where Jean gets to his brother and says, I want Mauricio. And then his brother says, well, it can't be done because X, Y, Z. And the show, the episode at the very least, launches at the point where Jean tries to get Mauricio as opposed to him arriving and getting lost in the middle of the night with these people that we don't really know and don't really pay off necessarily. I mean, there's the Bernard's whole thing, which I'll get to later. But overall, in terms of the urgency of the episode and the narrative of the episode, I would personally pitch to essentially start with the first scene where he arrives on the ship, but uh, really jump to, I think it's scene 12, daytime essentially, where you remove the bayou to really get us into that fish out water element without sort of that side quest with these boys and this person who kind of knows him, but also doesn't really have an impact immediately on Jean's storyline. Yeah, when Alex and I were discussing this at first, I was almost a little surprised because I really liked the action and the way that it played out going through the bayou and this fight sequence and the whole bear trap thing. I think that those individual moments were really fun and engaging. But when I kind of looked at the pilot as a whole and considered what Alex was saying structurally, it kind of made more sense that it, really, it does feel like there's a lot of ground being covered in this pilot. You know, we start off on the ship in the opening. We have this whole sequence in the bayou. He gets to the city. Then we have the sequence in the party with Jacques. And then we kind of have this other, you know, bayou kind of sequence out with the uh, the plantation place with Laveau. So, you know, I think that you could definitely get into the, the meat of the kind of the city and, and the intrigue and all that stuff a little bit earlier by pulling us out some of that stuff and you wouldn't lose too much of it. You could probably even repurpose some of those fun action beats into other places in the script. I think those are actually pretty good points. Really, the only thing that it would need reworking would just be, uh, I liked having Bernard be able to positively ID Jean for Jacques. But the fact that I can't think of a good argument to keep it in besides that probably means that you guys are right. Well, I actually had pitches for those points. There was also, uh, Nick mentioned uh, when we talked about this uh, beforehand, Jean gets injured in that sequence. And so I had pitches for both where in terms of the person that IDs Jean and Jacques set piece, I feel like you could actually bring in the captain from that first scene where Jean comes back, or you can even have Bernard's character be present in that, I think it's scene seven, and that ship arrival, and then you can still blend those two together. And maybe there's a little bit more weight there because Jean has been traveling on the ship in scene seven for a while trying to get back. And so even in that one scene, we get a little bit of brotherhood between those two people and then Jean goes on his adventure and then you learn later on that actually Jacques bought this guy to rat out Jean. So at least there's a bit more weight there. And then uh, secondly, in terms of Jean's injury, this ties into something we'll talk about later about the Mauricio of it all. But just briefly, I really feel like you could have Jacques injured in that sequence where he goes after Mauricio. And that has much more of an impact because it's essentially Jean's quest to go after Mauricio that gets him injured, which is then a wound that festers throughout the rest of the pilot, as opposed to just essentially a random character injuring him and that being a side injury that still festers but is less meaningful emotionally for the character. 
Yeah, definitely. When uh, we were first discussing it, my like first blush pitch was like, maybe the gator bites him or something. But then uh, Alex's pitch <laughs> makes a lot more sense from a, a character perspective and a, you know, thematic kind of dramatic irony commentary of, uh, you know, him pursuing this thing is what's going to hurt him. I really like that fix of the betrayer either being the captain. I think it's even better, like you said, Alex, if maybe it's just another sailor that's on that boat, that maybe somebody that I could show that John has forged a bit of a friendship with. And then, yeah, the betrayal would hit a lot harder. Yeah, the injury thing coming from Mauricio or the pursuit of Mauricio is great. And it kind of ties back into something that Nick mentioned in our last discussion when uh, before I had really settled the timeline, the original intention was that he hadn't been away that long. Basically, Nick had mentioned instead of having him get wounded in the fight with the swamp people and having the wound from Mauricio from the betrayal, that maybe Mauricio's wound just reopens and that's what causes it. And that would have a lot more you know, symbolic uh, weight to it. So I think that's kind of a good combination of both that, you know, I obviously I can't do that fix because the timeline has changed, but if he gets the wound in direct pursuit of Mauricio, I think that's a good fix. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Mauricio was is one thing we wanted to discuss as well. I think he's such an important part of this pilot and an important part of John's backstory and his drive and, and all that sort of thing. But it feels like he's still a little bit sidelined here. We kind of catch him in the periphery. And, you know, obviously you don't want to force them into some sort of big climactic confrontation in the very first episode. But it felt like he could have been a little bit more integrated into what was going on, especially there was a beat, I think, at the end of Act 3, that act break there where Mauricio storms in and confronts Jacques about John. And why didn't you tell me he was here and that sort of thing. And they have this little standoff. It felt a little bit distant and kind of third party removed from the immediate action. I think I'd like to see a way to kind of integrate him in a little bit more meaningfully into the story in a more active or direct way than just kind of two people talking about him in another situation that, and even that conflict at the end of act three doesn't really like lead to anything. He's just sort of like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, I'm using it. And he's like, okay, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of like forward us onto something. So I think there's something we can do there with Mauricio and his involvement that'll make it a little bit more clear and apparent. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, especially in that sequence where uh, Jean tries to pursue Mauricio. Uh, it felt like Mauricio kind of disappeared from that point on. And you brought up that scene at the end of Act 3. That scene didn't really feel like the end of an act. It felt more like a cutaway. And to Nick's point, I feel like you can play it either way, where either Mauricio is like a Damocles sword type figure that hangs over Jean's head throughout the pilot and you don't really know where he's going to pop off. Or you can play what Nick is pitching, which is much more present in the immediate narrative, which I also like. I feel like both of those options are valid. But if it is that second option where he's much more present, I do want him to be more present in that capacity, whether that's seeing more of that maneuvering with Jacques or uh, his interaction with Louise or something else that we don't even know yet in terms of the world building of it or whatever your plans are with Mauricio and setting those plans in motion in that episode. Yeah, I can see that. I think those those are good points. And I think that um, another point you guys made earlier about maybe trimming down that first act will give me more space to introduce Mauricio earlier or just develop his story a little further. So I think those two points can work together and uh, I can integrate that into the draft. Absolutely. On that note, in terms of uh, restructuring things uh, slightly and moving things up, uh, I did have a, a couple of thoughts uh, since we talked about sort of the act three, the act breaks in of themselves, uh, especially redistributing the top half of the episode where if you uh, remove the bayou sequence, then everything gets pushed up uh, much earlier, uh, which means in my mind, the end of act one could be either 
Jean getting his new clothes via Louise and uh, him arriving to Jacques' place and that being sort of the, the fish out of water element is the act out. Or conversely, you can still finish on the clothes and then time jump at the beginning of Act 2 to him arriving at Jacques' place uh, because I already forgot what the current Act 1 out is, but it felt a bit weak compared to where you wanted to end Jean's journey in that moment. And uh, I will also mention Act 2 really felt like the end of that should have been Jacques Steele. Essentially, you do this for me, I do this for you moment. That really drives us towards the third act, which in that case would probably be something more, in my mind, like ending on Lafitte, being screwed by the new terrain. You know, that moment where he realizes, wait a minute, this this isn't right. This isn't what I remembered. And then that coupled with him being under pressure by Marchand or, or something like that, where you feel a lot of the tension ramping up at the end of Act 3. Yeah, I think just like you said, getting rid of that, basically the first half of Act 1 allows me so much more space to move everything up. I feel like that if I end Act 1 just with the fish out of water moment, it feels a little, maybe not strong enough, but maybe that's just me. I, I do like maybe ending it with the meeting with Jacques, though. Yeah, I think the current Act 1 break is just where he kind of sees his brother again for the first time. And I think it's a nice moment, but I don't know if that has the strength. And maybe, you know, the fish out of water beat doesn't have the same impact either. I think we really want to hit a nice, strong kind of like, oh my God, Act 1 out to kind of pull us further into the story, whatever that happens to be. Those were just pitches in terms of if everything moves up, then the meeting of the brother also didn't quite make sense. I am with Ben in the sense of if... He is meeting Jacques in that moment. I feel like that's enough of a tease for something else. But I definitely feel you can find something in that ballroom set piece to end the act on, as opposed to necessarily the meaning of the brother or something where we get a better sense at the end of act one that this is a holy crap moment or something that makes us want the second act to be, oh, this is going to be what this second act is. It's a juicy act about Jacques. If we're going with the ballroom scene, I think Jean spotting Mauricio for the first time would be a pretty powerful moment you know the knife slipping from his sleeve to his hand you know a little bit of a cliffhanger there maybe yeah i agree with you there i feel like it, it really also bookends well the first act at the very least especially if you start it off with him setting up the quest to find mauricio and you are really delivering on the promise so wait he just found him at the end of act one and then that leads into the injury and into the rest of the episode yeah, for sure. On that kind of moment with Mauricio in the ball as well, this is, I guess, more of a minor thing. It's not a huge sort of story structural thing, but it's just something that I wanted to kind of point out. There's the whole thing of him kind of like, you know, breaking the bottle over this guy's head and like dragging his girlfriend or wife or whatever away to the bedroom and everything. I get what you're going for. And we want to set Mauricio up as the bad guy and all that kind of thing. But it feels like a bit of a trope to me at this point with the whole like Game of Thrones overusing the implied like sexual violence against women to illustrate that a character is evil kind of thing. And I wonder if we can just elevate that a little and do something a bit different or less cliche to show that Mauricio is a bad dude and what he's doing right now. And, you know, maybe you can work that into involving him more heavily. It's, are we starting to set up a plot about how Mauricio was planning to assassinate someone and take their place in society, you know, or is he extorting somebody? Like, I think there's something you can give him there that isn't just kind of like, he's a rapist. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something to consider because you're right. That does seem to be sort of baseline. I'm a bad guy behavior and it is a little tired. Yeah, I th that's something I'm I'm going to have to look at for sure. If I can integrate it more into his plot and, you know, sow some seeds for going forward, I, that's a better option. Yeah, and I also feel there's an opportunity there to highlight and contrast the differences between all the different characters, especially in that sequence between Jacques 
and Mauricio uh, because Jacques feels like the kind of person who is much more of a Machiavellian politician. He doesn't necessarily like violence. He's much more there for the power, the mystique, climbing the ladder in his uh, smooth, vampiric ways, as opposed to Mauricio, who's much more the ruthless, cutthroat person, as we just saw in the teaser. And so I feel like that's another opportunity where, especially if you live in a world where the two of these people, quote-unquote, work together or live together, or there's a dynamic there between them, I can already hear the fan fiction being written by the two, but (laughs) 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 I I do feel there's an opportunity there to contrast those two characters and in the way they approach their thirst for power and them acquiring that power. Yeah, and in that, it could be as simple as instead of the wine bottle breaking, it could be that Jean sees Jacques and Mauricio having a conversation and their body language can tell the whole story. If Jacques is very calm, but they're clearly having a disagreement and Mauricio flies off the handle, we'll understand the differences in their character, even if we don't know fully the depth of it. I can't find a good way to word that. Yeah, no, I definitely know what you're saying. I think you can still give Mauricio his like reverse save the cat moment where we see him do something really to somebody, you know, it's somebody spilled. And this is again, a bit of a cliche, but somebody spills a drink on him and he turns around and just like stabs the guy with a dagger or whatever. Like he just doesn't give a crap. He's that kind of guy or he'll you know, beat someone savagely for like no real reason. Like you can show that he's, you know, that sort of person uh, in some other minor way in that scene. Right, and especially in that ballroom sequence where it's Jacques' estate, where he wants everything to be prim and proper, and there's this buffoon there stabbing people in the middle of it. (laughs) You can definitely highlight that and play on that tension between the two of them, or at least uh, imply it, and then we obviously get it more later on. Right, yeah, I think those are great points. So moving further into sort of the, the characterization stuff, too. I think in general, everyone's really well painted and and I I get a good sense of who each of them are and how they're different from each other. But I wanted to lean a little bit more into Jean himself. And we talked in the previous episodes about what is his kind of flaw? What is this thing that's driving him? And we got into the idea of like his ego and wanting to protect or recapture his legacy and what he meant to people. And I think that you have some of that in there already, you know, the whole discussion about his death and, uh, you know, where the obituary is beautiful and everything. I thought that was really nice. But then I kind of lost a little bit of track of it after that. And I didn't feel a sense of his ego being the driver driving force anymore. It was more just sort of general revenge or, you know, an action-based kind of thing. And I wanted to get a sense of how he is a, as a character that's propelling him forward into his wants and needs. Well, I think that you picked up on something that I found myself picking up on too. So that's something I, I'd like maybe some advice on going forward because I feel like I lost that thread a little bit also. I felt like I had the ego thing set up and then in trying to focus and trying to make Jean more of an active participant in the story and really propel the plot. I became so made him so singly minded on just revenge. And still the, you know, I I think that the ego is the underpinning of the feelings for wanting revenge, but I did feel like I lost that too. And I think maybe a fix could be bringing the ego more into play with Captain Marchand later on and having them maybe butt heads a little bit more. There is some headbutting that goes on there, maybe beefing that up a little bit. Yeah, I had actually thoughts on that, uh, not just the Marchand of it, but really the legacy of it. And my thinking was tying to something I was a bit missing in the pilot, and that is, what if when Lafitte comes back, there's a bit more of a legend and mythos around what actually happened to him, right? Like, why did Louise move on with his brother? What did the brother think? And to your point about Marchand, why is Marchand saying that Jean is a coward? Maybe there's Mauricio spreading fake news about what actually happened there 
and maybe he's painting Lafitte as a coward, and that would really put Lafitte in a bad place because he's like, well, actually, I'm the hero of the story. I'm not the coward or the villain of the story. Playing into the actual legacy that is already in place because Lafitte is presumed dead. So there's already sort of a narrative that's being perpetrated by other people, mostly Mauricio, probably, because he's the only person there to have, quote unquote, uh, been there. Just seeing that reaction from Jean and his interaction with the different people and establishing that legacy through the way they behave towards him and towards other people would really, uh, I feel like, crystallize what that idea of a legacy means to Jean. Yeah, you had some interesting ideas, Alex, around kind of these stories of what uh, happened to Lafitte. How did he die? What did he do? And everyone kind of having, you know, it's almost like a myth or a legend. Everyone has a different tale about it when he's encountering these people and he's, you know, overhearing them saying that, you know, well, I heard that Lafitte jumped off of the sails of the ship and never appeared again. Or I heard that he murdered three children. I heard that he was a wizard. I don't know, whatever it happened to be like, just like <laughs> you can kind of take that idea and run with it of everyone having their own version of Lafitte's disappearance and who he was, and what kind of person he was. And that kind of like messes with that legacy in both directions, positive and negative. I kind of like that wizard note. So this whole thing might need a page one rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I like that a lot. A good example. I, <laughs> no, but I think that actually, um, I like that. And I like that you can play up humor in those situations. If everyone's heard this like slightly different story, it's like a game of telephone of what's happened to him. And then it becomes part of his mission. He's like, I'm going to correct the story. And it goes back to, like we said, legacy. And, and that gives him a more concrete way of knowing that his legacy is being corrected if the longer he goes, the more the story straightens out a little bit. Yeah, and there is something really tragic there about if Louise moved on from Jean because of a story that Mauricio said or because of a story she thought she knew or the reality that she thought happened, and then it's actually the polar opposite that happened. And Jean can never prove that uh, he wasn't a coward, for example. Him coming back to that legacy and struggling to prove that incorrect uh, can also be a powerful tension there. I think that makes it elevates an already dramatic situation to be more dramatic. You know, the way I kind of pictured it was just that Luis and Pierre ended up together because it's a fairly common thing for people that are going through a shared grief. I, I always, I kind of pictured that it was the loss of Jean that pushed them together. But if it's that combined with the fact that maybe they both think that he's not the man they thought he was, that is a whole another layer of drama, I suppose. Absolutely. And on the Louis front, I actually had a couple of questions. Uh, the one element I was a bit confused by what actually the relationship was between her and Jean before the teaser. What was their dynamic like? Well, at that point, after the Battle of New Orleans and before he left to become a pirate again, he was you know welcomed into high society. So I think they basically had a fling. You know, they weren't engaged, they weren't married, but I think they had a fairly consistent and serious relationship. Yeah, I think that's a good question, Alex, to kind of clarify that a little bit, because I didn't have a super clear sense of that either. I, it, I could have had, you know, in my back of my head, I was like, yeah, were they engaged? Were they a serious item? Was it just like, you know, something they'd messed around because he'd snuck in through like the slaves quarters? Maybe that's something you can kind of like call out a little bit more. And maybe he has a different idea of what they were to what she did. Maybe he thought that they had some great <laughs> love or whatever. And then she was <laughs> like, no, it was nothing more than a fling. And that's again, ties into his idea of like who he was and his legacy and then other people's perception of him. 
Right, because we really want to get a, a sense of when he says to uh, Louise, you know, he took everything from me, he took you from me. What does that entail? Mauricio literally took her from him. Did uh, Mauricio kidnap her or did they get together romantically? Or was the fact that Mauricio betrayed Jean caused their separation? Just clarifying that through that relationship and our understanding before Jean left to set sail, did they have the talk about where their relationship was? And at least establish that idea so we get a better sense of that loss that Jean feels towards Louise. And to the next point, maybe it was unrequited love. Maybe it was just a one-way street, but at least we get a better sense of that dynamic. Yeah, those are all good points. I think uh, the he took you from me. I think it's sort of revisionist history from Jean. It, it does refer to Mauricio's betrayal, just the fact that Jean couldn't go back to New Orleans. But in all honesty, he could. You know, He's been chasing Mauricio around. I think that Jean paints himself as more of a romantic than he was. And on Louise's part, I think it was a super passionate relationship, but I think she's matured and she looks back on her period with Jean as sort of her bad boy phase. Whereas now she wants a more stable, mature person like Pierre, who has given up that kind of life of crime. And obviously I got to make that more clear, but that was my intention. And uh, I just got to layer that in, I think a little bit thicker. Yeah, for sure. And on the Louise font, I had a, a couple of thoughts that, tied into, especially at the point where if you're removing the Bayou stuff and you have a little bit more room for Mauricio, I really feel like in that final act, uh, act five, you could do with a bit more scenes and a bit more stuff overall with the brother and Louise, uh, either separately or together, just that BOC story encompassing them to really give us a better sense of the relationships around Jean. And there was a point that really, in, the, in that scene between Louise and Jean, it's actually revealed that Louise was a slave owner. Uh, she freed slaves, as she says. And I feel like that's actually a really hard line to draw where it's really hard to empathize with someone who is or was a slave owner because, you know, once a slave owner, always a slave owner. So I, I would rather see Louise portrayed as, especially if you want slave ownership to be part of that narrative, to be one of the characters leading the charge with other people and shining a light on that issue if that's an issue you want to explore in your show, especially from the perspective of more the oppressed as opposed to the oppressors, especially with that scene at the end reveal where Louise and Lovo are working together, if there's some connection there, to really tease that here, where if you want to lean into the slave ownership thing, maybe there's a narrative here between Louise helping Lovo free slave or something like that, where we really see her as working for the good cause as opposed to you know being a slave owner that repented. It's hard to really buy that character back as soon as you say, oh, I once owned a slave, but I freed them. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Alex. I think the worst thing you could do would be to just kind of erase it and cover it up and just call them servants and pretend that like slavery didn't exist back then. So I think leaning into it in a more clearer way with her leading the charge against that and infusing that uh, could be a good solution. Yeah, I agree 100%. And again, it's one of those moments where obviously I, I didn't make it clear. I mean, I didn't even write it in there at all. But I suppose my intention was that, you know, Louise has been living with her father and her father was the slave owner. And I guess the way I see her is that she was always fighting against that. And now that she has, you know, grown up and has more say in the household, she was able to make that decision. That's part of her connection to Marie that we kind of see at the end. We see them together. Yeah, I intend there for that to have like a through line, but I didn't include that, I guess. So that's certainly going to be a focal point going forward. 
That's great. Yeah. I really feel like there's an opportunity there, especially because it's not necessarily a narrative that we see often on television, um, but just having her lead the charge and, and what you said about the father really uh, makes sense of, you know, she grew up surrounded in that reality and she fought against it. And so when we meet her, when, you know, the kind of character that we understand she is, is she's someone that is completely against it. She never owned slave. I think that's probably the, the I guess, the clarification I needed in that capacity where she wasn't free slave in the sense that she had slave it was more like she went against you know the establishment her father etc and work uh, against it and then at the end it's revealed in a way that oh wait the connection in that narrative is also because of Laveau and all those different things that add layers upon that relationship I guess the next big thing, uh, one of the last ones that I wanted to kind of bring up was in terms of the, we talked about some of the act breaks and making those stronger and shifting a few things around, but also just the ending of the episode. It felt a little bit too resolved to me. It was kind of like, all right, we did all this stuff. We've set all this stuff up and now he's off in the city again. And, and everything just felt a little bit too much like an equilibrium. I didn't feel like there was some sort of force and momentum driving us forward in the next episode, needing to see what happened next. needing to see how he's going to get himself out of this bind. Like what are these kind of swords dangling over his head? I mean, it just kind of felt like a little bit too, he got away scot-free with everything from my liking. I agree. Yeah. I feel like this uh, dovetails with what I, we were talking about moments ago with act five being a bit thin. The end of the episode should really be on Jean himself. And if you want to do reveals with the other characters, that should be, it's almost like a montage at the end where you drive momentum, momentum, momentum. And then at the end, it's like the big moment with Lafitte, whatever that is. In this current iteration, it's, you know, him seeing the sun and seeing the light and that new day, which I actually like as a scene. But if you have something that's Lafitte related, where it's like that first step, you know, obviously he lost his ship or the potential ship that he could have gotten in this episode. But if there's a version of that, where it's not just the sun, but he sees that first step that he accomplished or the next mission or the next goal and crystallizing that as the out of the actual episode that would really propel us into episode two. Yeah, I think maybe taking that moment of him stepping out into the city, feeling like it's a new day and he has all these possibilities ahead of him, he's really optimistic. But then the dramatic irony is we're seeing this montage of all these people who are conspiring to hurt him. You know, maybe that's when you have that scene between Jacques and, and Mauricio talking about, well, I only needed him for tonight. Now he's all yours or, you know, that kind of thing where we just, you know, Laveau and, and obviously has her own intentions. Whoever it happens to be just kind of like you know, he's, he's sitting here naively thinking, this is great. This is the start of my new legend. I'm going to fix everything. And then just the audience gets to know that like, it's not going to be that easy for you, bro. Yeah. I, I like the idea of putting that Jacques and Mauricio scene there. Do you guys think it would be a bridge too far to end on a bit of a cliffhanger of him meeting Mauricio face to face? I would need to see what the logistics of that are and what that means. I have the same thought about moving that Act 3 Mauricio scene to the end of it or towards the end of that uh, sequence, uh, especially if you do have that montage with the other characters like Mauricio and Jacques and so forth. I'm not sure if that would necessarily make sense for Mauricio to, you know, bump into Jean there. Uh, let me say it this way. If Jean meets Mauricio at the end of the episode, I would want it to be because he's like delivered somehow where, you know, the actions that Jean did led him to getting Mauricio because I feel like it's a bit unfulfilling if he just walks out and Mauricio is there. Uh, why did he spend the entire episode fighting and clawing his way through just to have, you know, Mauricio just appear in front of him? 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea, and I definitely see that being a scene at some point in the show. You know, he walks back into his brother's bar or whatever, and Mauricio turns around on the bar stool, and he's like, you know, it's an act out or something. He's like, hi, Jean, you know. But uh, I don't know if that, yeah, it might be a bit of a cheap shot for the the end of the pilot. I figured it might be a little too much, but it's good to have some second opinions. Where do you see Jean into episode two and so forth? Oh, boy. You know, sometimes I, I get so focused on the... The individual, you know, just this story that I haven't even thought so far about the second episode, but obviously it's going to have to be going back to Jacques. The mission is accomplished in a sense. He needs to arrange the meeting now. Uh, Marisa agreed to meet with Jacques. It didn't happen the way they planned it. So he's got to go back to Jacques and and that's the next big step. Where it goes from there, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I was thinking even, you know, what if he does go back to Jacques? And Jacques gives Mauricio and Jean both what they want at the same time. And Mauricio's there. Like they, all they want is a shot at each other. Right. But that's just future stuff to consider. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, there's a lot of possibilities for, for what could happen there, but yeah, definitely whatever it happens to be for the ending, I think just giving some sort of sense of, uh, here are the unresolved threads. Here are the looming dangers that are about to face him. And, you know, if you're juxtaposing that with him, you know, ironically feeling like, uh, good, this is, <laughs> everything's going swimmingly for me and this is my new start. But, you know, he doesn't yet know the crap that he's going to have to crawl through Andy Dufresne style to, uh, to get to what he wants. I really like that. I like the idea of, yeah, we see the storm brewing ahead of him and he's blind to it. So there's some dramatic irony there. My last thought, and this ties into the world building of it, I think a lot of this is present there, and obviously a lot of it will be built within the first draft. I will mention a couple of moments where I feel like you could tease a little bit more of the mystique from all the characters, especially uh, the voodoo queen. There's a moment at the beginning of the episode, and obviously this is going to be cut in the Bayou sequence, but I think you can repurpose it later, where uh, Jacques finds a gun in a cache, and that gun never bears fruit in the episode. But I was thinking you could do a little bit of a gag where in uh, Act 4, there's a moment where he encounters the voodoo queen and there could be a sequence where essentially he pulls the gun and you're not quite sure if he's going to pull the trigger or what's going to happen. And you play up the mystique that, you know, the voodoo queen says, well, you can pull the shot. It's not going to do anything. And he pulls the shot and the gun, because it's an old gun that's been in the cache with dry or wet powder or whatever it is, for yours doesn't work. And you can play up the fact that, wait, is this because it's an old gun or is this because, uh, you know, she's kind of a voodoo queen with some magic properties? I feel like there's opportunities there in their encounter where you can heighten that ambiguity of their powers. Yeah, I like that. The only issue, because I actually thought of that as well, um, the thing I bumped against was that he has to swim to get there. And with those old flintlock pistols, if you're going to submerge them, they're not going to fire. There's obviously workarounds and it's fiction, so it doesn't matter that much. So the way I tried to remedy that was with the sort of, you know, Marie says, stop, don't kill Jean when her guard has him dead to rights. And then a second later, a random cannon blast takes that guy out. So I was trying to sort of, I see where you're coming from. And there's other things I can do to kind of point towards that, to, to play up the is she magical? Or is she not angle? And that sequence, I feel like it's such an important act and our introduction to that character that you have a lot of opportunities there. Yeah, I think there was actually two different beats where he retrieved a, a gun. One was from the thing in the bayou, and he doesn't use it. And then he got one from his brother's supplies, and then he doesn't use it because he has to put it aside to like swim through the thing. So it's uh, I'm sure you've heard of the literary device of Chekhov's gun, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
the first gun he uses to kill the older brother of Bernard. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think I made that very clear. Gotcha. Yeah. I just thought it was funny that we, he keeps grabbing guns and then just has to put them aside and <laughs> never use them. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, not a huge they, they deal. They call but that Warner's gun. Yeah. That's Warner's gun when there's a bunch of guns and nobody uses them. It's kind of stockpiling for the future yeah. war. <laughs> I, I did love that canon moment, though. I thought that was really funny. That felt like some of the like that was good. later episodes of Game of Thrones where they really just lent into that kind of like crazy big coincidence thing. Um, yeah. Speaking of those kind of moments, I felt like there were a number of instances where he gets into a fight and kills a bunch of people. And then, and this is because he's the protagonist and he has, you know, hero armor and whatever, but he kills a bunch of people and then they always just kind of like non-lethally bump him on the head and he wakes up somewhere and they don't seem to care that they just like killed several of their people. So, you know, I think that's sometimes just the function of, of how action stuff works. It's like, he obviously can't be just shot in the head and done with it because then the story's over or anything like that. But it just felt like there were a couple of those moments where it started to beg belief of like, how many people can he get away with just murdering? And then all he, all he gets is kind of a slap on the wrists. That was definitely jumping out at me in the beginning with the Bayou sequence. I didn't really mention it because the Bayou sequence may or may not get cut, but especially in that moment where he kills a teen brother and then the dad, and then at some point he regains morals by not killing the 15-year-old son didn't quite make sense to me where, you know, he just murdered these people and we still saw those murders happen. If he's going to be a murderer killing teenagers, then that's really hard to come back from it. And conversely, if you are going to see him murder people in quote unquote justified fashion, then you really need to make it clear in that context that it is a justified fashion and it is truly life or death for him. In contrast to someone like Mauricio, who would probably kill a random person at Jack's Ball, you know, stabbing because they spilled a drink on him or something like that. Finessing that distinction between why someone kills someone else is really important in my mind, especially in that era. Yeah, I think there's the the kind of character morals and implications of it there, but there's also just kind of the repetitiveness and realism of those three moments. There's the, the bayou where he kills some people. There's Jacques' party where I don't know if he's killing Mauricio's men or Jacques' men in that hallway there. And then he kind of gets bonked on the head and wakes up. And then there's later on when he's in Laveau's place and he kills some of her men and then he gets bonked on the head and wakes up. So just something about that kind of read as a little bit narratively convenient for the plot all the time. He gets into a fight. He kills some guys. It looks like he's about to be killed, but then he just gets knocked out and wakes up tied to a chair. I think that's kind of a trope you have to be careful with a little bit reusing you guys are absolutely right that's something i even when i was writing it i was like i I, when i go forward i'm gonna have to figure something out because it is too convenient to just constantly be knocked out and that's even if we're disregarding how horrible it is to be rendered unconscious regularly um (laughs) what that does to you you know in terms of him inflicting the violence maybe i'll take it in more of like a batman direction you know where he's he'll do everything to you but kill you if he can And really, maybe I'll just have him kill only when there's no other option. And that would help differentiate him from Mauricio and and your standard pirate. I think you can still have those fun moments, too, where even though it was like a teenager or whatever in the bio thing, like I did like the moment where he like tosses him the cutlass and tells him to like free himself. Like that kind of quote unquote non-lethal solution to situations <laughs> is more interesting in, in a kind of action way. And I haven't seen that kind of stuff as much before as opposed to just like stabbing a bunch of guys and walking away. I think if you can find fun solutions, even if they are a little bit you know violent or intense, at least we're not seeing him just like wholesale murdering people for the sake of it. And I think that that's important too for his character arc as he, maybe he once was a pirate who would be exactly like 
Mauricio and he has the opportunity to just like murder these people or do something pretty immoral. And he starts to make these choices of like, no, I'm not that person anymore. Right. And even on the sort of the Batman side, it really adds a lot of the drama to this more mid game and end game thing, but it adds a lot of drama to the point where he comes face to face with Mauricio and he's been thirsting for that revenge. But what does that revenge look like? Is it actually murdering Mauricio? And if his entire ethos is to not kill people, then is he willing to compromise that to kill Mauricio? But for what? And all those questions are really, you know, dramatically interesting. So uh, leaning into that, would really add a lot to his character. Yeah, finding that right balance, I think, is important. All right, excellent. Well, on that that discussion, let's talk next step. What do you have in mind, Ben? So the next step, I think, is just going to be getting a first draft out. You know, whatever that means. If it's just like a vomit draft, just to get it out of me, and obviously we'll be able to refine it after that. But you know, just getting getting it down on paper, and that's you know my favorite part. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that this outline is already got a lot of good stuff in it and it's already pretty detailed. It's the kind of thing that you can take and just plug into Final Draft and start kind of, you know, writing out and putting in dialogue and fixing up those moments that we discussed. So I think you're off to a pretty great start. I definitely agree, and I cannot wait to read that first draft. And on that note, before we go, don't forget that Paper Team is on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our monthly Paper Patreon podcast and also this exclusive Paper Team mentorship updates just for our Patreon supporters recorded by Ben. So get on this at paperteam.co slash Patreon so that we can keep producing producing an awesome show like this one for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in and thank you to Ben for all of his hard work. Yeah. Thanks guys. It's been a, such an educational process already and I'm just excited to keep moving forward. Awesome. We're excited to uh, read and see more of you and hear more of you. And uh, on that note, you can get all the show notes, including Ben's outline for this episode at paperteam.co slash 198. As we said at the top of the episode, we are less than two weeks away from our 200th episode of Paper Team. That's in uh, about 10 days now. So get all the information at paperteam.co slash 200. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Colin. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And uh, Ben, where can our listeners find you? I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I follow the Paper Team Facebook page. So if you guys want to find me, just search for me there. Excellent. If you have any thoughts, feedback, questions uh, to Ben or to us or to anybody, you can uh, send them to ask at paperteam.co. And uh, what are we doing next week? Well, next week will be our paper scraps for November of 2020, and that will be our 199th episode, uh, the penultimate episode right before episode 200. So make sure you tune into that one to catch up on all the goings on around town and answers to your questions about writing and business. I will see you next week. We'll see you then.